Welcome to the MedTech Talent Lab, the number one catalyst for advancing careers and building high-performance teams. Sponsored by the Anthony Michael Group, helping companies secure in-demand talent in regulatory affairs, quality, clinical, engineering, R&D, and other areas for medical device, digital health, diagnostics, and other organizations across the U.S. life sciences sector. Here's your host, Mitch Robbins. All right, welcome back to another episode here on the MedTech Talent Lab podcast. I'm your host, Mitch Robbins, and I'm the founder and managing director at the search firm called the Anthony Michael Group, as you probably heard from the introduction. We help organizations across the U.S. within medical device, digital health, and diagnostics to build high-performing teams, primarily in areas like regulatory affairs, quality, clinical, and some of the other technical areas. I have the honor and privilege of being here with you on a regular basis, interviewing best-in-class leaders and professionals straight from the industry on all things talent. Uh, today, joining me is Mr. Charles Tragesser. Now, Charles uh, is an industry talent acquisition veteran in his own right. He comes to us today with over 20 years of experience across agency, corporate, and professional services when it comes to full-cycle talent acquisition experience. Charles also has a variety of experience when it comes to diversity sourcing, and DEI employer branding. And he's got a wealth of experience when it comes to building, training, and leading a third-party recruitment firms as well. For the last year or so, Charles has worked for a company called Tasso as the talent acquisition manager. If you aren't familiar with Tasso yet, uh, the company is revolutionizing the way blood is collected for blood tests, clinical studies, and research. Uh, the organization's service model ships the device directly to the patient, facilitates the shipment of samples to the lab, and then delivers the results to the provider or researcher. Uh, prior to that, I mentioned uh, Charles' uh, third-party experience. Charles worked for a couple different very well-known search and staffing organizations, including Robert Half and the MRI Network. So without further ado, Charles, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm really glad that you're joining us today, especially for the topic that you and I are about to unpack. But I want to make mention, it's funny, you and I have uh, some commonality in our backgrounds. You know, I uh, had a bulk of experience working uh, within the MRI Network as well. For those unfamiliar, MRI Network is one of the longest standing third-party search firm franchises. I think it was started in 1974 or so. And uh, I know that you kind of cut your teeth there in a variety of different positions. And I got uh, my foundation there as well. So I think that's how we found each other to begin with. Yes. Yeah. I was uh, 17 and a half years with that organization. It's a long time. You got me beat. I think I was there just uh, just over six. But today, you and I are going to tackle a topic I think we're both passionate about, and that is the initial intake conversation that recruitment or talent acquisition folks have with their respective hiring managers when it comes time to kick off a search on their behalf. And we're going to discuss what happens during that intake conversation, the types of questions that talent acquisition folks should really consider asking to get the most from that conversation so that when it, the time comes to hit the streets, so to speak, on behalf of the hiring manager, you've got a full-blown recruitment campaign headed in the right direction, hopefully with talent acquisition partners and the hiring manager on the same page. And so I guess, you know, what I want, what I want to start with is oftentimes, you know, hiring managers, they, they know what they need. They know what they want to hire. They know in their mind kind of what this person looks like as far as who they are, the experience, et cetera. But they often have a hard time, I think, articulating that to the individual who's going to be helping them recruit. And so I want to kind of talk through maybe your process and some of the questions that you've learned 
to use over time, kind of help the hiring manager get to the root of this. Does that sound good? Yeah, that sounds great. Okay, awesome. So I'm going to, I guess I'm going to turn it over to you and ask you kind of where do you, you've got the hiring manager either in the room with you on a call, whatever it may be. How do you kick this off? How do you kick this conversation off? Yeah, I think first of all, I actually start with the same question and it is, you know, what pain are you trying to alleviate? or, you know, I may, I may come walk in with a, some assumptions and knowledge like this is a backfill or this is a new position or that sort of thing. But my first question is, what do you want to accomplish um, by filling this role? Or, you know, what pain are you looking to alleviate? Um, how does this fit into your overall roadmap for your department or your team? And usually that generates um, hopefully a little bit of their vision uh, because also I'm probably starting with a, a job description that is essentially a laundry list that really has no priority to it. And I would say that once they've answered that question, um, of course, that's going to prompt a lot of probing and additional questions. Once they've helped me form a picture in my head of what, how this person is going to contribute, and what's so critical about this, the skill sets they're looking for to the department or the team, then I'm going to dig into that laundry list. And like I said, it's usually too long. And, you know, they, they have things in there like must have good communication skills. Well, I cross that off immediately. You know, the, those sort of things you would expect from any employee. I don't really even bring those up. But really, my fr the first thing I'm getting to after I've had this con back and forth conversation about their vision for the role is must have, should have, desired. So I'm getting right to figuring out what are the cutoff points for experience and background and knowledge uh, and the skills and capabilities for the candidates. So I will go through the requirements one by one and say, if this person had everything else, but not this thing, do you not want to see them? No, of course I want to see them. That is a should have at that point. So I go through each of those, then I end up with my must haves and should haves, and then I'll go through the should haves and I will separate should haves from desire would be nice. And then I do a follow, then I, I repeat that back to them. And then I actually ask one more qualifying question. And that is looking at a skill map of your entire team, regardless of the level of this position or what, you know, what you expect them to do. Um, where are the holes on your team as far as if you took all the skills necessary for your team to be successful and you turned them into a Venn diagram, where is it that you're missing? And for me, that's, I don't even put that in the job description. That's my little bonus, you know? So we, you know, we don't have anyone in, in on our team that has a lot of experience working with labs, you know, whatever it might be. So then if I can find someone who has all the must-haves and has experience working with labs, I know that that person is going to jump to the front of the line. Um, and that's a bit of a value add. And once again, I don't even put that in the job description or mention it again, but it always works really well. So that's awesome. And there's, there's a ton to unpack with what you just said. Because you're absolutely right about the job description. How many read, how many job descriptions have you seen in your lifetime that read the exact same, you know, must have 10 years of experience doing this, a degree, must be able to lift 20 pounds, blah, blah, blah. And I rip on them all the time on this show. But what I would say is something that I coach people on when it comes to the resumes, and I call it the opposite rule. If you can't say the opposite and have it make sense, it's too generic. So, for example, somebody would not say that they are not a team player that they're not dynamic, that they're not a multi-energetic, right? Nobody would say that. So therefore, it's too generic because everybody can say the same thing. Same thing when it comes to on the job side. Must be able to have great verbal and written communication. 
must be able to, you know, on and on. The point is, of course, that's a given, right? It's a given. So what I want to unpack here, though, is I was about to ask you, how do you rein in hiring managers with when it comes to their expectations for their what their ideal candidate is? And they've got this whole laundry list. And you said it. You break it down into must-haves, shoulds, and desires. And not only that, but then you went on to this piece about the skill map. And so now you're not necessarily making this a formality in the job description, but now you know, hey, here's a gap the hiring managers has acknowledged on their team. And so if we find somebody that's got not only the must-haves, but I can potentially fill this skill gap, it's, we're going to all look great because this is exactly what the hiring manager kind of is, is helping to articulate. And what I always say is think of a search as two sides of a coin. On one side, you've got the performance profile what somebody should have done in their past that's going to help indicate future success on the hiring manager's team based on the priorities that the hiring manager needs help with. That's what we, in essence, call performance profile. The flip of the coin is the candidate value proposition. Why somebody doing this job elsewhere should stop dead in their tracks and at least see it as a no-brainer to have an exploratory conversation about this opportunity. That's where I want to go next with you. So you've got your must-haves, you've got your shoulds, you've got desires, you understand your skill map. Now, how do you transition and, and help the hiring manager understand people aren't necessarily, especially in med tech, people aren't necessarily lining up at the door to talk to you. We have to go out and find them and we have to attract them to our opportunity against our company competition. What's in it for them? Where do you go with that, Charles? Yeah, well, I have a laundry list and it's to go with your theme. It's it's two sides of a coin because, and this actually, this list of items I'm going to give you right now is actually built into all of my recruiting feedback documents in my applicant tracking system, the the interview kit for me. And that is, I'm identifying all the positives. And also, I like to make sure there is a couple of negatives in there because, you know, you every you do when you talk to candidates, you do need to be honest about, oh, well, you know, this is a startup culture. There's a lot of indecision. There's a lot of back and forth. There's a lot of quick starts and quick stops and those sort of things because you don't you really don't want to come off to the candidate. You're just doing a sales job, right? You want to be honest with them. But I'm digressed. So here's the list. Impact. What kind of impact is this candidate going to have on the team? How are they going to be able to move the ball? What kind of job satisfaction they're going to get about push, moving that ball or pushing that stone up the hill or whatever? So impact. Advancement potential or growth. What is? Uh, what are the growth plans? What's the advancement potential? What is a possible career path or career paths for this person? Hours slash work flexibility slash work life balance, remote, hybrid, all of that right? That's super important. Challenge, technical challenge, business challenge for software engineers and people like that. They really want to always being at the cutting edge and using the newest technology. Is this company an early adopter? Um, am, am I going to be challenged to new, learn new languages? And, and that can be translated to any job. Um, what's the business challenge or the technical challenge for this person? Compensation. Now that's not, it's a, you know, that's a discussion we're going to have the hiring manager, but that's definitely once again, this list is for both for the hiring authority to tell me what's so great about the role, but it's also my list when I'm talking to candidates, because when I'm talking to a candidate, then I am going to go through that list and say, what's important to you, right? Impact, you know, and I, and I will walk through that list again. And then those are my hot buttons and motivators that I will use all through the process. And especially at close time when we, we've got an offer and I'm like, you know, listen, this is what you told me was important to you. This is what this job offers is related to that. So that list is ubiquitous to the whole process. Compensation, of course, stability, 
and company culture. So culture, stability, compensation, challenge, work flexibility, work-life balance, location, advancement potential, and impact. That's great. And I love how all of these pieces are what's important to the candidate themselves, right? And top performers want an opportunity to be able to self-actualize. They want to be able to spread their wings, say, okay, I'm ready for a challenge, but if I come in and I actually deliver against this challenge, what's in it for me, right? In our business too, I think there's a lot to be said for the impact that it has on the end user in this more often than not patients, right? And so whether it's the therapeutic area or the type of technology, I think that piece is important. I like how you broke down the challenge piece as far as, you know, challenge means something different to person depending on the function that you're recruiting for, whether it's technical or the actual business challenge that they're solving. You know, a lot of times when we ask this question, what's in it for somebody who's doing the job the same type of job elsewhere. Why would they want to come and work here? And very often, it, this it stumps a lot of hiring managers because they want to gravitate towards, we've got great benefits, we've got a great culture, uh, the people are great, we, quote unquote, you know, treat each other like family. I'm like, great, so does the next company. What about the opportunity specifically, right? And so I want to come back to you and challenge you a little bit and ask you, how do you break down the company culture piece when somebody's like, oh, it's great because X, Y, and Z? How do you actually get to the root of what that means? Yeah, well, you know, of course, you, you mean with the hiring authority. Yeah, yeah. So if, if you say, hey, tell me about the culture, and they're, let's say that they're talking about their vertical or their you know, yeah. functional area, how do you actually pull out what, what you want when it comes to the culture piece so you can articulate that to a candidate. Yeah. So I'll lead them down the path. I'll, I will bring, uh, so I'll mention culture and I will mention some of the things that are ubiquitous to the company culture. Uh, like where I am right now, we're, we're almost extremists when it comes to work-life balance. We literally won't schedule a meeting before 9 a.m., things like that. Um, mm -hmm. So the, I'll mention those things and then I'll say, well, if we drill down on your team, what's so great about your culture? So, I mean, you know, it's not a tricky question or anything like that, but I do try to lead them into thinking about it by mentioning what's ubiquitous about our company culture. And then in that way, it gets them to kind of narrow down and say, okay, well, on my team, this is also what's so great. And that's how I ask that question. Yeah. Do you go into anything? I've got a few ideas flowing around in my head right now, but do you go into anything in terms of trying to vet out how to describe that person's leadership style to particular candidates? I shouldn't say to particular candidates. I should say to candidate prospects. Yeah. Well, you know, once again, I don't think there's a secret sauce to that. I, I have asked questions like what, you know, well, first of all, if it's a backfill, you know, obviously I'm going to learn, you know, what was great and what was something, even if the person left on their own or whatever, you know, what, what would you change about this person as far as their leadership style, that sort of thing. But then also uh, a, another way to put it is what would the people on this team expect from a leader? I like that. Yeah. And you can like also that. ask, you know, what the sort of leadership style does your team respond to? So I'm not asking, let's say it's a director and they're hiring a manager of mm -hmm. some sort. I'm not asking the director what his or her vision is for leadership style because nobody cares. It's the, the people who care about that are the people they're leading. And, and so, uh, you know, I would ask what do the people on team, what would they expect from someone as far as the leadership style? Because each team is going to be different. There's a lot of teams that are great with ambiguity and they just want to be told what needs to be accomplished and they do not want to be told how to accomplish it. Other teams are much more functional and they need a step-by-step -step guide for whatever they're going to be doing. One of the questions that I've used is, I guess it's twofold. You can ask the hiring manager directly, how, if you had to describe how you think your team sees you as a leader, what would you say? And then go to the team and say, how would you describe the, the leader 
you know, X, Y, Z, and then try to pull out, hey, what do you think this person does really well? What do you appreciate about this person? Because now you're gaining real-time feedback from people who are being led by this person. You start to pick up on common themes. The other question that I would add here that I learned, I think it's a fantastic question I learned from an industry trainer in the third-party world, Mike Gianta, I'm going to give credit where credit's due, years ago, is to ask the hiring manager, fast forward a year from now, how would the department look differently for you to have the confidence you brought in the right person? And what I love about this question let me say it again, fast forward a year from now, how would the department or whatever, you know, the function, whatever it may be, how would things look differently from now, a year from now for you to have the confidence you brought in the right person? And what I love about this is usually if you ask a generic question, you're going to get a generic answer. This question forces the hiring manager to, to paint a picture with, you know, the vibrancy of the colors of the rainbow, because now what you're asking them to do is what is exactly is their vision? What are their priorities? Where are they trying to get to a year from now? And now if you understand where they're trying to go, you can back into what's necessary to get there and start vetting that candidate against those priorities and against that vision. I, that's why I think it's so great. What do you think about that? Wrote it down. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, I think that's a great question. So keeping this moving, what questions do you ask or can you ask the hiring manager to help you assemble a strong list of uh, target companies or groups or keywords or phrases to leverage, when, especially when it comes to you know doing your own Boolean searches and trying to build out a market map to go after? Yeah, I have a little form I created for myself as kind of a, as, uh, as part of an overall intake form um, that's about sourcing. And now I'm getting into the I'm getting into the gears, right? I'm down in the weeds. I want to pull out of that person unique acronyms that would only be on the resume of someone who might be qualified for this role. I'm looking for associations and groups they might belong to. I'm also if the role has any sort of what we what I would call facing, is it client facing? Is it, you know, patient facing? Is it lab facing? You know, th those sort of things that helps me because then I can use some of those. Also, I I always ask the question, are there any companies out there that you really respect as far as how they do business that, you know, if we could land somebody from that company, you would be happy with the kind of best practices that they bring with them. You know, so like right now I'm working on a product manager role so we could identify, for example, uh, Amazon as a company that like has an internal system for product management. And anybody that spends any time at Amazon is going to be exposed to really how to do a roadmap and how to do mm -hmm. product strategy and, uh, you know, all those things that are where, uh, for example, a lot of product managers come into it organically and they're never exposed to those those system, systematic approaches to that role. So what companies out there are doing this function really well? People you hired in the past that have been super successful in this role, where did they come from? But, but really, I am looking to walk away with a laundry list of key phrases and key words and three-letter acronyms and associations and groups that, that are going to be unique. Because I think, mm -hmm. you know, one of the problems we have, you know, in doing Boolean is resume databases and LinkedIn and everything. I mean, they're pretty much fully saturated. So, you know, if you're not really, really specific, you know, you're going to get, you know, 10,000 responses, yep. 10,000 results. And you really need some of that stuff to drill down. And then, you know, once you start seeing people that you think you might be a fit, and now I may be wandering into another question here, but I've also found that once I get back to my desk and I start doing some searches, I will identify one or two or three people, regardless if they're looking or not, it doesn't matter, just resumes that I think are perfect fits. And that's what I call a shoe fit candidate. 
And I will send those resumes and say, hey, these are not candidate, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? These are resumes. Right. I might even delete the name off of them, whatever, just so they don't think that they're resume. And I ask them to critique those. So I am wondering into a different question. But so I guess I could say something really smart here, but it's not rocket science. I, I, I want to walk away with a series of unique phrases, words, and acronyms and groups certifications, anything like that, that's really going to help me limit my search results. And I love what you said about, you know, companies that they respect, that they think are doing a good job with with respect to the type of role that you're trying to uh, recruit for, or perhaps people that are on their team now they're doing great. And what's the common, is there a common thread or common theme as far as what their background is and how to go after something similar? I love that. The other thing I wanted to mention too is, you know, when you're vetting this out, one of the things that we ask as well is, Okay, I got it. You want the must-haves to be this. You want the shoulds to be this. And it'd be awesome if they have this. But assuming that we bring that person forward, what are the two, if not three, critical priorities that you want this person to work on right away? And a lot of times, hiring managers, for some reason, when I ask it that way, they start going into the requirements or what they want the candidate to have in their background. But you really got to rein them in. What are the two or three critical priorities you're hoping this person can or you want this person to come in and address right away? If you understand what those projects or those uh, priorities are now in your screening of these people, you start asking, hey, tell me about a time when you worked on X, Y and Z. What was the situation? What would you do now when you go to present this to the hiring manager? Hey, you mentioned your priorities are this. You mentioned that the Canada's background needs to be this, and here's what they've done. It makes it that much easier on behalf of the recruiter, the talent acquisition professional, to quickly not only deliver on what the candidate or the hiring manager is asking for, but to calibrate and make sure that they're you're still in sync. And I love what you started to go and say is right before I get into the throes of the search, I'm going to take a couple quick resumes that I find, and I'm going to calibrate very quickly with the hiring manager to make sure we're on the same page. I love that. Love that. Yeah. Yeah. I do have a, uh, on my personal intake form that I've created over the years. Yeah. Um, starting with the famous blue MRI intake form that you probably use. Yeah. I create a laundry list of the most common questions that candidates ask. One of those is what does the first six months look like in this role? What's expected? And that, that's like super common. So mm-hmm. I have a list of those super common questions and I will ask those to the hiring manager. Um, so that I can accurately answer them. That's awesome. So is there anything, before I kind of move to the po- what happens post-intake conversations, is there anything else that you think is important to bring up here as far as what you ask or what you discuss during that conversation? Only that I am going to review all of that and and repeat back to them those must-haves, should-haves, desired, and get an agreement that um, they trust me enough to go ahead and schedule an interview without talking to them first and and just make double shift and, and correct that we have a we have a verbal contract that, that you know these are the must haves these are the should haves if I, in, in anybody I find with all of the must haves who also you know aren't like complete jerks or something are going to get an interview mm-hmm. and so talk about that transition then so you've you've had this conversation you've done your best to kind of repeat back what you thought you heard to make sure that's what you should have heard What do you do as far as setting expectations as to what's going to happen next? Yeah. And that kind of loops me back to where I kind of wandered off the last question into the shoe fit. So I'm going to say, you know, I'm going to go back to my desk now. I'm going to rewrite this job description because I have I completely rewrite the job description. That does bring up something earlier about those silly requirements that like good have good communication skills. I pull those out. But I should also mention most of those 
can actually be determined to be non-inclusive language in a job description. If you have used any of the big tools out there that evaluate job descriptions and look at them for for inclusiveness uh, or gender inclusiveness, for example, you will see most of those silly requirements that say, you know, must get along with others or must have a good communication skills. And those generic ones are considered to be non-inclusive language, slanted language. Interesting. So, yeah, because it's but, common sense, uh, but at the same, but that's interesting. That's a, a good vantage point. I didn't think of yeah. that. Anyway, uh, I, I tell the manager, I'm going to rewrite the job description. I always put it in the, you will do this, 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 and this. You have this, this. I've always, you know, I just, that's mm-hmm. the way I write jobs. It's always aimed at the reader. You will, you know, have this, you will do this. Uh, I will rewrite the job description, send it over to you for your approval get it published right away. I'm going to then dive into my um, dive into my sourcing tools and I'm going to find two or three people, regardless of where they are location wise or they are interested in the role or whatever. I'm going to find two or three resumes of people that I think are dead on hits based on our conversation. And I'm going to send them to you. And I'd like your critique. I would I'd like to know what questions do this resume generate for you? Because that gives me more ammunition for when I talk to the candidate and, and I know even better what what's important to them. So I, I get their feedback on those two or three resumes. I call that a shoe fit. And once again, it's not rocket science. That just really helps me level in. Also, I have found that I need to then go, okay, well, based on your feedback on these resumes, you said this was a should have, but the way you're talking, it sounds like it's actually a must have. Am I correct? Um, so there is sometimes a slight adjustment there to the should have, must have desire. I'm also reinforcing that I'm actually going to hold them to these requirements uh, because the last thing we want is, oh, this person's great, but maybe I should see more resumes. (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) And it's like, well, if they're great, interview them. And if they're great, hire them, you know? Yes. Um, uh, And I want to make a point to that because the analogy is you go out to look for houses and on the very first day, the very first house, it literally checks off everything that you could want in a house, but it's the first house you saw. And so it's going to leave you a little bit insecure. Well, hold on. Wait a minute. What about, are there other things out there? Should we, what else should we be looking at? And it comes back to what did you want in that house to begin with? You wanted this, this, and this. Does this house have it? It does. What, what's the problem? What's the problem? And I think it's the, you know, the, mind games that we play. Well, it's the the fear of missing out, so to speak. But I think that's where the conversation that you had up front and the expectations you set and the commitments that you made between the hiring manager and yourself come into place. Like, well, wait a minute. You said you wanted this. Does that person possess this? Great. So your concern is what if there's other people out there that can do the same thing? And then you have to educate and go through that because the way the market moves, even today with the market, the way it is, you know, where it's topsy-turvy, the st- for strong talent in medtech, the market still moves very, very quickly. And so you either have a choice to capitalize on what's in front of you uh, with the confidence that this person can do the job and we all like this person, let's move forward. Or are we going to run the risk of keeping them at bay, getting them to feel all of a sudden lukewarm about something that uh, a few days ago they were super excited about and risk the fact that you're going back to square one again. So I just wanted to chime in on that because I feel super yeah. strongly about what you were saying. And uh, a tangent to that that's important is when you get into like a final loop or team interviews, In as I assemble those interview kits and put those attributes in for scoring, I make it very clear to everyone else that's interviewing that candidate. Here are the must-haves, here are the should-haves, and here are the desires. 
traits so that everybody is on the same page as far as what our requirements are for the role. So that when we get into a debrief at the end with the team, we don't have people all over the map because they had their own picture in their head as far as who this person should be. And, you know, everybody else is a hire, but there are no hire because they really didn't understand the specs. I so. love that. That's a great point. It's probably a whole different topic, but how do you interview and what are you interviewing for? And most people who are on an interview panel, they're not interview experts. They're, they've been asked to give their opinion about somebody that doesn't even work on their team, but that person means enough to the organization where the person who is hiring wants their input. They don't necessarily know what to ask unless they're coached and guided. And that's where what you were just saying comes into major play, and that is an interview matrix. What are the attributes or the criteria or the skill sets that you're interviewing for? And on a scale of one to X, what, how do you rank them? And now it becomes an objective viewpoint when it comes time to grading a candidate. And I think that's what you're getting at is we know the must-haves, the should-haves, the desires. We're going to build questions around that. We're going to hand this to the interview team and they're going to score against it. Is that in essence what you're saying? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Also, as far as setting expectations, my uh, unwritten contract with the hiring manager as part of that is once I've defined that well enough, I want that manager, well, I'm sort of going to just, unless they just absolutely refuse, I'm going to say, listen, um, when I find someone who's a fit for this role, I'm going to schedule an interview with you while I'm on the phone with that candidate. You know, it's just going to show up in your calendar. I'm not going to ask you. I'm going to say, you're interviewing this person on Thursday. Is that okay? And they go, they always say yes. And that just eliminates that whole step of, hey, I talked to this candidate and this is, do you want to interview them? I never ask a hiring authority, do you want to interview them? I decide if they're going to interview them. And the only reason you're able to do that is because of the credibility that you've built and the trust that you've built by way of the questions and a question and answer that you've had during this intake session, yeah. I would imagine. But it shaves two to four days of yeah. the hiring process. Um, if I can be on the, I have a 20, 30 minute call with a candidate and I get to the end of the call, I've decided what I'm going to do. And I will just pull up the hiring manager's candidate, a calendar. And right while I'm on the phone, I say, hey, are you free on Wednesday at three o'clock? And I set the interview right in the call. And that saves me two to three days. Yep. It's great stuff. This is all great stuff. I really appreciate you being here and the nuggets that you have been sharing. I'm, I want to give you the opportunity to talk about anything uh, that you'd like to share with regards to Tasso, because I know that you've got some super exciting stuff happening uh, at that organization right now. Yeah, Tasso is is really great. You know, I'd, I'd say that we are unique in several ways as when most people think of startups. So we, and, and this is all public information about really, you know, I joined the, the company as their first recruiter. So they were using outside agencies exclusively until they brought me on. I really came on board because I was looking to recreate the experience I had at my last firm where I was there nine years. I came in when there were 42 people um, and left when there were 5,000 and started as the only recruiter and left with a team. And I really wanted to do the same thing here at Tasso. The what makes us really unique as a startup is that uh, we're not, we spend money on salary and uh, we pay like 100% of medical, dental, you know, we have really good benefits, but none of the furniture matches. We didn't go out, we didn't get our $100 million 18 months ago and buy, you know, $10,000 espresso machines and foosball tables for the break room. You know, none of the furniture matches in our office. So really to see that emphasis on driving the business and people and not appearances. Um, we don't spend hardly anything on marketing. <laughs> no, it's just really, and we have a CFO that's been, uh, that's actually started up successfully two companies in the past. So that puts us in kind of a unique position at the opposite of where we're seeing a lot of the startups today recently who are laying off or going under because they were really dependent on that next round of funding. 
And um, we've set it up so that we received that last round of funding a year and a half ago, and it's going to last us to 2025. And we're going to we, we expect to be profitable way before then. So it's really hard to find when, you know, when, when I'm talking to candidates about joining a startup, especially those that have either had been at startups or have just heard all the bad news lately about the layoffs and everything. It's, it's really great to talk about a company that's really frugal in the right areas and spend money in the right areas. You know, I think also our, our mission is on the patient side. Um, all of us have had to go get a blood test. All of us had to go see a phlebotomist. Um, they don't always find that vein the first time. It's never not painful to get a blood draw. And with a lot of people in rural areas or in medical deserts, they don't have good access to going to a lab. So what our device does, um, that's absolutely revolutionary that no other device does, is we can draw up to 600 microliters of liquid blood into a tube, just like a phlebotomist would, from home. And you simply stick the thing on your arm and push the button and you wait five minutes. That's all the patient has to do. It's nearly painless. I've, uh, I've had the device applied to me probably 30 times being one of the many internal guinea pigs <laughs> for our trial lab. And it's almost always completely, sometimes I don't feel it at all. Um, it's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. Uh, some of our biggest clients, um, and uh, the fastest growing sector of our business, our biggest clients are, um, the world of decentralized clinical trials and drug safety trials. So large pharmaceutical companies and these companies called CROs, clinical research organizations, they do all the heavy lifting. They run the trials. So where they have a real problem with patient compliance on biosampling, on blood sampling. Because they have to rely on that patient to get in their car and go to a lab and get a giant needle stuck in their arm. And they, lo they lose a lot of people out of the study because of noncompliance just because of that. So it's great for the patients, but it's also great for the research company that needs this data in a very on a very specific schedule. And they're depending on the participants doing something that people tend to put off if they can. Amazing stuff. Well, listen. I wish you and the organization nothing but the best. Sounds like a lot of optimistic uh, initiatives out there right now. You guys are achieving some great success and a lot more to come. If it's okay with you, Charles, we'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile as well as a link to Tasso uh, in the show notes. Yeah, that'd be great. Thank you. All right. Well, thanks so much for being on the show today. Uh, we really appreciate all the value that you shared. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to the MedTech Talent Lab podcast. For more content-rich episodes, log on to theanthonymichaelgroup.com or subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform.